Welcome to Fire and Maneuver, your place for all things wargaming at Marine Corps University. I'm Joel Carrenti, a Matrix game employee with the wargaming team here at MCU. I'm joined today by my fellow co-host, Kevin Williamson, also a Matrix games employee with the wargaming team, as well as Major Kiwi Janikin, OPSO for the Brute Krulak Center. And we're also joined by the university's wargaming director, Tim Barrick. Thanks, Joel. I'm excited to discuss our topic today, which is our, our recent Warplan tournament. Uh, that we conducted on the Salerno campaign from World War II. But first, Kevin, what have you been up to lately on the either Marine Corps University wargaming front or the personal wargaming front? Uh, so at MCU, we just got done wrapping up Gothic Wildcat, which was also an Italian scenario for World War II. Uh, the students used it for course of action development. In my free time, I've been playing a lot of Scourge of War Napoleon. Uh, sorry, Waterloo, actually, which is another Matrix Games title. Uh, lets you kind of play Kriegspiel solo, so I've been getting in with that. How Great. About you, uh, yeah, I, I actually recently just picked up a, a, a brand new uh, released tabletop game uh, from VUCA Simulations called Red Strike, which is a uh, Cold War Gone Hot scenario. And I'll tell you what, I started seeing the, uh, you know, a lot of pictures popping up on social media and the looks and the graphics of it really drew me in. But you begin to kind of dive into it and you realize how much uh, is really given to you with that system. Um, a lot of individual exercises that can be done kind of in preparation for stuff. Uh, the scenario playbook was was far bigger than I was expecting it to be. So really excited. Hopefully that should be arriving in the next day or so to, to dive in and start chewing on that. Uh, on the digital front, uh, really just been messing with some command modern operations scenarios, well as a little testing for the, the new title coming out, uh, Broken Arrow. But yeah, that's about it. Yeah, that one's looking really good. Uh, and Buka Sims Red Strike, I've been looking at that one too. That one, that one looks uh, really well done. Those guys are putting some great games out. Absolutely. Hey Kiwi, how about how about you? What's on your game table? Uh, so right now, I'm poorly leading both the French and the Austrians in our current Napoleon uh, tournaments. I'm getting my butt handed on both sides, so I'm I'm, I'm doing not well there. Uh, but on the physical front, uh, I've been looking at uh, and reading the rules for uh, General Orders World War II. It's a new game from uh, Osprey Games from the same designer who did the Undaunted series. Uh, but it's a, it's a worker placement style uh, World War II war game. So not your traditional hex encounter or card-driven game. So I'm excited to get that one to the table. Awesome. Well, and on... What I've been working on is uh, we've got the Napoleon at War tournament ongoing in, in Fight Club. So we've got the Wagram scenario and also the Borodino ones. And I've had a bunch of those going in, in preparation for that. And the Wagram scenario is well underway. Uh, and we got the Strategic Command World War One coming up after the new year. So Joel and I did a, did a pretty grand uh, bout of the 1918 Ludendorff Offensive, which is a fantastic scenario. I definitely think the Germans are disadvantaged in that one, but uh, it's a great play. And on the professional front, uh, operational wargame systems been keeping me busy with the Griffin's Mace uh, Northern uh, European expansion uh, for the game. And and I've also actually been playing a VUCA simulation game with my brother, Nate, uh, Operation Theseus. That's a that's a North Africa scenario, and it's a it's a really good one. Um, and coming up over Thanksgiving, he and I are going to put the Labatai 
Battle of Moscow, uh, Borodino on the table, which is which is another fantastic game. Um, all right, but uh, so for today, we have two special guests. Uh, we've got two Canadian lieutenant colonels joining us, and I'll get into why they're joining us here in a little bit. But first, I uh, want to get the introduction from them. So we'll go first, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Darren Hart, uh, Canadian Army, the Canadian Forces College. Uh, Darren, could you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do there? Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Um, so I'm one of the military faculty here at Canadian Forces College in our Joint Command and Staff Program, which is aimed at majors and lieutenant commanders from across the Canadian Forces um, and international students to prepare them for the next stage of their career as you know, transition towards the rank of lieutenant colonel or commander uh, and on towards colonel and captain. Um, and that program uh, covers a lot of things. And one of the things we're trying to incorporate more is wargaming as an instructional tool, as a way of uh, learning something, uh, whether it's about leadership and ethics or if it's about um, operational planning. Um, from my professional perspective, I've uh, used OWS last year as part of this program, um, but I've been a war gamer for decades. I've real-time strategy, digital games, as well as tabletop war gaming, including games like uh, Flames of War and Team Yankee by Battlefront, which are more company-level game, but it's been a sort of uh, um, goal to try to use the lessons you can be exposed to through those games to, to stick better uh, is really the objective that I have in terms of wargaming here at the college right now. Oh, that's that's awesome. And I look forward to diving in here to our topic with you on uh, wargaming and what you guys have been doing. And our other special guest is Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Robb, uh, also Canadian Army and recently left the Canadian Forces College and is now at the Canadian Joint Warfare Center. And Anthony, uh, tell, us, tell us a little about yourself and what you're doing and on the gaming front. Hi, Tim. Thanks. Yeah, I was uh, in the same role as Darren. I was the staff at the uh, Canadian Forces College. And uh, my journey into wargaming started about five years ago as we started to integrate wargaming into a professional military education curriculum. And right away, I could see the benefits, and so uh, I got hooked, and then I got uh, lucky enough to to learn the OWS system as well as some other games and really integrate that into uh, what we do at the college. And uh, since then, I've just left the Canadian Forces College, and now I'm working as a war game designer for the Canadian Joint Warfare Center. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Congrats on that assignment. I'm sure it's going to be a blast. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, yeah, so, so let me get into why uh, these two gentlemen are here with us today. So we just completed uh, one of our fall Fight Club tournaments, which used the game Warplane, computer game from uh, Matrix uh, Simulations and uh, Matrix Games. And this game uh, is focused on World War II, really at the operational to strategic level. And, and we fought a Salerno scenario, Operation Avalanche, uh, really the Southern Italian Italy campaign and the Canadian team rocked it. And we, we played this with teams of four and we had 10 teams competing in the tournament. And what we did from a scoring standpoint is each person on the team competed individually in a paired match uh, versus their opponent. And then we, we combined the scores of each individual on the team for a team score and in the in the team standings, 
the Canadian Forces College uh, got first place in a dominating 242 points. I mean, no one was really even close. So all four of their team members won their matches and just did a fantastic job. In second place, we had a combined Australian-Canadian team uh, that was at 216 points. And then in third place, we had uh, Marine Corps University's own uh, Expeditionary Warfare School, a uh, bunch of captains that came in third place with 213 points. So it was it was a really uh, good series of matches, uh, and and the team competition was pretty pretty tight for second and third, and those positions kind of jockeyed back and forth for a while. Uh, but the Canadians, once they jumped out in front. Uh, you guys uh, didn't didn't really ever look back, and uh, that was pretty awesome to see. On the individual front, one of your team members who unfortunately couldn't make it today is Major Jonathan Logan. He took the the high score individually, uh, first place at 72 points. Uh, Captain Patrick Visser, U.S. Army, who is currently a student at the Expeditionary Warfare School here in Quantico, he got uh, second place by one point. So it was a very tight competition there between first and second. And then Dr. Robert Ingen, who's a professor out at Australia's uh, Defense College, uh, third place with 63 points. So we decided that uh, with this first episode of Fire and Maneuver that we would put a spotlight on our war plan uh, scenario that we fought and, and really kind of discuss some of the, some of the tactics and decisions and, and what uh, we all kind of thought of that experience. Uh, but first, before we dive into some of the, the questions here, I want to kick it over to Kevin to, to talk about the scenario and just provide an introduction of what's, what's in the uh, war plan Salerno scenario. So, Kevin, uh, over to you. Yeah, thanks. So, the scenario starts in September of 43. Uh, it's Operation Avalanche, so it's focused on Salerno. Uh, the Allies have invaded Italy. Germany, in this scenario, has around eight to ten divisions, and essentially the Allies are trying to push from south to north. They have some amphibious forces um, that they can use, as well as uh, some airborne forces if they choose to. Uh, but the, the scenario is it's a pretty fun scenario because as Germany you have just enough to stay alive and choose where you pick your battles but you really don't have enough for the long run so it's really about what turn you decide to start pulling back is going to kind of determine your future in that scenario right so let's let's jump into our first question then uh, which is really what would you like about it and uh I'll, I'll kick it to uh, to Tank Colonel Rob. What what did you like about this scenario? Well, first off, I really enjoyed playing as the Germans on this one because it is such a difficult start state, and it almost demands some creativity in order to um, to be mildly successful. And uh, this ties into what I really enjoy about war plan and about wargaming in general is that uh, I found this to be a really safe place for experimentation. Uh, I thought that the, the expected solution for the German side would be a slow delay, and I, I imagine that's what my opponent would have thought. So I thought of uh, varying my tactics just a little bit to uh, maybe confuse uh, the allies in this scenario and, uh, and throw them off. And so I experimented with that strategy, and it seemed to work for me. 
That's great. Uh, Tim Carl Hart, how about you? Um, so one of the things that I found most interesting about it is my regiment um, fought in this campaign all the way up the boots and um, was was in Italy for the entire uh, most of the uh, Second World War um, had landed on, during Op Husky in uh, Pacino um, a few months before this. So it has like a, a historical tie to it. But much like what Anthony mentioned, I, I was really um, blown away by the, the impact of uh, supply and trying to like maintain units in command and organize your fronts across that. Um, and the you know, Anthony mentioned experimenting on the German side. I, I was able to experiment on the British side and try to like um, really push forces and attempt to like um, flank the organization rather than trying to push through Naples and up the uh, west coast, really try to get around to the east coast of uh, Italy and push around on that flank. Yeah, and we were chatting before we kicked off here about uh, how you prepared as a team, and that's one of the aspects of this Fight Club experience that I, I really particularly enjoy is the the opportunity to, to talk tactics as a team. Can can you get into how you guys you guys clearly did very well, in the tournament. So can you talk uh, about how you guys prepared as a team uh, and individually for for the for this specific scenario? Yeah, it, we. Uh... We didn't want to be embarrassed, so we we decided to try to do a couple like practice run-throughs of the scenario against each other and just like record what the what some of the um, strengths and weaknesses of different actions we could take would be, um, and you know we compared it very much to Allied staffs sitting someplace in Sicily, I imagine, trying to figure out exactly how they would actually conduct this operation and. And so we actually trialed slightly different things as we played through the scenario. Um, and it helped to like illustrate lessons that um, we needed to learn in order to be successful. Um, supply is a really um, big issue and being able to maintain supply versus uh, having your supply cut and then not being able to continue to move forward. Um, and the other one being, I would argue, differential concentration. Um, and making sure you have the combat ratios that are required to be successful. Uh, we say it, but sometimes we're like, oh, I've got a thing and it's better than the other thing, so I'll attack and attack and attack, but then you just, you know, it's a computer game, so it's just using up um, bytes. But in reality, these are thousands of men and women who have uh, suffered from your bad decision to do that. Yeah, that 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 relationship between the history there and resonating that that really applies to all the games, right? It's important to keep that in mind. And when we play these, is that it's not just a piece of cardboard that you're moving around a map or or an icon on a screen, but it represents a, a large uh, body of forces. Uh, Anthony, how about how about you in terms of uh, your preparation for the scenario and and how you uh, approached it? This isn't our first uh, war plan game, and so we knew that sets and reps really matter, and coming into this prepared is is a is a key for success. So, like Darren said, uh, we did this scenario a couple times, and we would exchange uh, long essays of what well, these tactics worked and these didn't for me, and here's why. And so, by the time we got uh, ready for turn one of the actual tournament, uh, the ground was a bit more familiar. Like we we knew what we were doing, and we probably had. Uh, 
a couple of tips and hints as to what we should avoid doing because it hadn't worked yet. Yeah, so that, you know, it's interesting. I, one of the things I like about the scenario, uh, and you mentioned earlier that you really like playing the Germans, and, you know, one of the challenges operationally as the Germans is, you know, I see this scenario as you really have got three fronts, right? You've got, you've got Salerno that's, uh, you know, the, the shin on the west side of the boot, right? And you've got the two, three divisions, actually, that you start down in the toe, uh, facing the, the British 8th Army coming up through the, the toe. And then at Toronto, which is that that uh, the spot on the bottom of the boot, right? Um, right in the bay, you've got the British 1st Airborne that lands at Toronto right at the start. So you have these three different points on the map that you have to balance and decide, you know, where, where are you fixing where are you withdrawing you know how do you handle these three fronts and you don't have enough forces to cover it all right so i think that's really part of that challenge for the germans so how did how did you guys in your how did you approach that from your german defense where did you decide to weight your your effort on that um i guess i can start like my my deduction was slowing down folks through the bottom of the boot um, near the toe was not a beneficial return on investment. Um, and it had some effect, but what had more effect was a counterattack once those forces had pushed up. So my goal was to pull those divisions from the toe back quickly, allow them to hold the Toronto region, but then to reposition some Panzer divisions to be able to uh, outflank the forces as they kind of lined up along um, the river uh, near Salerno and be able to counterattack in behind them and, and cut that supply again. Um, and in my game, as a, as a German player, I suffered a little bit because I brought 15 Panzer Grenadier Division across too close and it got sunk on its way in. I lost <laughs> I lost a Fallschirmjäger Division that got just pinned between two other forces and got chewed up. And I lost another um, mechanized division in that uh, counterattack. I didn't. I should have probably brought two. I only brought one. It cut off the supply, but it got destroyed within that. So I very quickly lost three divisions. Um, but I had my opponent chasing me around a little bit in that in that environment. He wasn't quite sure what I was doing. Um, and then I think a degree of um, desire to kind of push through me set in, but I was. Those other organizations were set, dug in, ready to go across a river, hills, so they had a real advantage on the defense, um, and that chewed up big chunks of the Allied Army as they tried to push through that. And then I just slowly, like one hex at a time, slid back from that um, position. Yeah, it won't make you feel any better, but uh, I had a similar catastrophe in one of my workup scenarios for this. Uh, and just for those who may not be familiar with the scenario, the Germans start with two divisions on Corsica and Sardinia, that those are key units for the Germans is your short divisions. You need to transport those uh, by sea uh, over to, to the main peninsula for Italy. And if the allies have positioned their fleet in, 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 around uh, Salerno, which they generally do, 
uh, if you try to bring those transports uh, within range of the fleet, uh, the fleet will intercept it and sink it. And I learned that hard lesson uh, in one of my practice scenarios and found out very quickly, you don't want to do that. You got to, you got to definitely bring your, your transports across further up the peninsula or you'll pay for it. And every division counts uh, is, is key in that. Uh, anybody else in terms of uh, your approach to fighting the Germans? Did, did anybody take a different approach on it? Um, fighting, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, fighting as the Germans, I was, uh, I, I made an assumption that the uh, my adversary would want to destroy me. Um, because there were so few targets, it seemed like the uh, the natural strategy for the Allies is to try and destroy the Germans as quickly as possible. So I was trying to place myself, making use of the terrain, in the most awkwardly difficult place to attack. So I was looking at mountains and uh, on other sides of rivers and so forth, and trying to, like I said, um, make the Allies chase me a bit. Because for me, this was a race against time, because I knew there were German reinforcements that were going to come later in, in the game. And so I was just trying to stay long enough for the uh, German reinforcements to, um, to arrive, and that would allow me to capture more, um, more cities in the north. Anybody else on the Germans? Joel or Kevin? Yeah, not having a ton of experience with mobile defenses, I, I definitely found this to be a, a very big learning experience. Uh, you know, and just listening to some of the strategies these gentlemen laid out was very beneficial for me. I personally just evaluated a few of the things I didn't know. Well, I made a couple of wrong decisions there, and uh, you know, I think from the Allied perspective, you know, just keeping initiative, right, keeping that drive going, forcing the Germans to constantly having to be maneuvering, don't really allow them to let that that line form. I think in our game, I. I I made that that fatal mistake of really allowing you to set that line up, and then it became a process of trying to break through that line. So I think keeping the initiative and trying to force the Germans to constantly be on that back foot and never really feel comfortable uh, as you you know push up the peninsula, really that that was my big takeaway from it. Kevin. Yeah, I mean, pretty much my strategies have already been discussed i the thing i think the germans had the advantage on that makes it a little bit easier to play with the defense is that you have a lot of natural terrain features that you can kind of form your line on so you do get to pick and choose and if you uh i don't want to say if you don't have a smart allied player but if you have an allied player that's fixated on destroying those units uh, like they mentioned, you can sometimes kind of create opportunities to make limited counterattacks. Uh, I think in one of my matches, I was able to actually destroy a British armored division, which in the grand scheme of things, it isn't much. But when you're eight turns in and you feel like nothing you're doing is right, it's the small victories that kind of keep you psychologically still in the match. Yeah. Yeah. How about uh, let's talk to the allied approach so again just kind of setting this one up you know you have these three different uh fronts that you're you're dealing with with uh the port of toronto with the first airborne you've got uh, several divisions from eighth army coming up the toe and then you have fifth army that starts the game with a lodgement already already ashore around salerno uh, but the logistics push 
into that uh, because the port capacity there at Salerno is just a port factor of one that severely constrains your your supply for that lodgement. So I'm curious, uh, and Lieutenant uh, Colonel Hart, we'll, we'll kick it back to you in terms of like your initial allied strategy. How did you tackle this and how do you see that operational framework? Uh, so I, I think a, a key piece there was I saw my breakout not coming from Salerno, but coming from Toronto. Uh, that's where I put 7th Armored as soon as I could. And they broke out and then up that west coast and started to create a conundrum for um, the German player because I was about to go all the way down that eastern flank and around their defense. They weren't pulling back fast enough to establish that line. Um, more, they were more focused on my forces trying to move up through towards Salerno. Um, but I kept maneuvering forces slowly towards the east from Salerno. Instead of trying to attack, I was just trying to move around his flank and expand the bridgehead um, to the east as opposed to, to the north. Um, and then that established Toronto as a bit of a supply hub, um, which has better supply overall and started to support um, a move on that flank. And then once those uh, British divisions had moved up through the toe of the boot all the way up and were in line, then I pushed them hard around the uh, around that east flank. And I think the key thing that I had done differently than earlier ones was the depth of my flanking. So my, my flanking um, went deeper than, uh, there's a mountain ridge in there. It's like three or four hexes in a row, which are uncrossable. And so your flanking either needs to go shallow and short of those, but the German line can kind of wrap towards that or go past them up to the next port and then turn. And you're almost in line in terms of uh, latitude at that time with Rome. And so that's how far north I went before I turned and started to cut off uh, the forces from there. And at that point, the German line started to just kind of fall apart because I had two armored divisions driving around to the north um, and got into Rome. And then you know, I was cutting the supply lines across the board and my opponent needed to fall back to try to reestablish those supply lines. But falling back meant that I could advance from the south um, towards the north and then just when I, I think he thought he was going to be able to reestablish his supply lines, I was able to land uh, uh, an American armored, first armored maybe, um, land them, and that changed the entire math again. Now I had two armored divisions, and they just started racing up the rest of rest of Italy, and anything they ran into, they were more powerful than. And um, my biggest challenge then was keeping them in supply and not losing their effectiveness because they were so far out ahead of everybody. So. Yeah, the supply the supply lines in this really start to get extended as you as you press that attack. Uh, Tenko Rob, how about you? What was your allied approach? Similar to Darren's, except uh, I I took some risk with the supply and started my push north much sooner because like I know the I know the victory conditions for the game were capturing as many cities as possible, and to me, uh, the northern part of Italy provided the richest opportunity for victory, and so I took some risk, but it was it was calculated risk because um, there weren't that many German units that could um, that could uh, interrupt my progress anyway. What I was really concerned about were the um, were the German reinforcements, and I I couldn't keep track. I didn't remember the date as to when the German reinforcements start to appear. So for me, I thought getting to the north quicker um, was was better because one time I had played this, 
all of the uh, partisan units that I had capturing the northern cities in Italy ended up being destroyed by the German reinforcements, and I didn't want to make that mistake again. So I thought I better, I better assume some risk, uh, get some Allied uh, units up in the north so that they could destroy the German units before they broke out of those mountain ranges um, you know, in northern Italy. Yeah, that's a tough one because that's a long way to go to get up there uh, to do that. Um, it is. Yeah, that actually brings me to the next question, which really is, could you walk us through what you see as one of your most critical decisions? And, and that might be critical in the sense of like it was a challenging or hard decision or one that you really wrestled with or you saw as decisive to the campaign. Um, uh, so in any you could define it in any way there, but could, could you step us through any of the key decisions from either side, either Allied or German, that, that stand out to you as you reflect on the game? Well, I can build on what I just mentioned. As the as the Allies, I decided uh, very early on to take, uh, I think it was a, a mechanized unit, completely out of the fight, because the, there are still many German units in central and southern Italy, and uh, and move it up north as quickly as possible, understanding that the supply lines would be completely cut, it would be on its own, and if the German reinforcements came any earlier, it would probably be destroyed. But like I said, to me, it, was, it seemed important to get uh, some kind of armor up toward the north as quickly as possible to start capturing those cities before the German reinforcements broke through. Now, Lieutenant Colonel Hart, how about you? Um, I, the big decision I had, I think, was um, how to uh, disperse in order to concentrate. Um, I needed to disperse on the right-hand flank to find the routes through the mountains and not end up kind of um, stuck on top of myself um, through that. So I needed to disperse through that spot to be able to then concentrate around Rome and then really be able to re-push from there. Um, and so it was the pushing, you know, different divisions to attack something, but other ones then trying to like go around behind that organization um, with no intention of flanking it. It's just that the next move, then they'd be able to reestablish a new route um, based on the, you know, rails or roads through that area, which there's very limited roads and rail through that sort of section from Salerno up to Rome, except in the plains uh, in the West. So there's a lot of like difficulty in getting through those mountains. But once I got in through the mountains, I had the forces all sort of assembled there and and the supply lines had been established around the areas of uh, Salerno. So I didn't have to own Salerno. I did by that point, I think I, I controlled Monte Cassino, um, but the supply was starting to improve as I pushed around. And that, you know, with the armored divisions racing ahead, I was able to push infantry divisions as fast as they could move up in behind that, restoring the supply the whole way as they went. So that was a, that was difficult just to figure out how all those organizations were going to maneuver um, within that tight space. I think for me, one of the decisions that stands out was as the Germans, you know, you you never have enough divisions, and I was trying to set a defensive line across the peninsula. And if you've done a good job of protecting your forces from destruction, you actually have enough German divisions to stretch across the Italian peninsula and establish a defensive line. Um, but that comes in tension with 
the partisan activity that Lieutenant Colonel Rob mentioned going on up in the north, because you get these Italian partisans that just start popping up everywhere up in the north, and it's whack-a-mole uh, fighting those partisans. But the, the challenge is the Germans is you cannot ignore that, because there are so many victory points up in the north that if you ignore the partisans, they're the Allied player is just going to rack up victory points. So I, the toughest decision I had is I had a, a, a light infantry division initially tasked as the Germans with fighting that rear area security fight against the partisans. And in some of the, the practice games, that division had been successful in containing him. But I had some, I also had some horrible roles because that division almost died in fighting the partisans and I couldn't believe it. it. It just completely culminated. And I got to the point where I had to pull a mechanized division out of the line and accept risk on my main defensive line and send a mechanized division north, rail it north to fight the partisans. And I did not want to do that because the, I could see that the allied offensive his main attack against my main defensive line was about to hit. And here I was taking a mechanized division out of the line and sending it north. But I, I had to because otherwise uh, my supply lines north were getting cut by the partisans and it was just going to take over all those cities. So in the end, it was a hard decision, but I, I had to I had to make it because I had you had to fight the rear air security fight. And so to me, that was probably the most challenging decision, but I knew I had to do it. Uh, anybody else? Any any key decisions that you wrestled with in the in the game? Jim, yeah, maybe I'll sure, go ahead. Sorry, uh, I was gonna say in my game versus the Germans, my opponent and the Allied. Uh, what I now realize was a, a faint uh, landing attempt way in the north on the eastern coast. So I waffled with how much do I pull north to try to protect for that. Uh, it turns out he just let that group sit up there. So I, in in my opinion, it was ended up being a feint, and I and I pulled. I think probably two or three divisions up that eastern coast to just try to be prepared for landings in the north at one of those ports. And it was it was tough. I, I was not sure how much I should commit up there to protect for that. But I think on his part, just taking one of those surface groups, pushing them up there into that coast just to keep me honest on whether or not he was actually going to try to land there was probably the smartest decision he made because it thinned me out way too much to the south and, and proved very challenging. And Sinker Hart, you were going to say something? Yeah, so one of the things, I'm a big historian, so I very early, there's a SS brigade organization within that and just seemed thematic for me to send that north to deal with partisans. So very early, that's what I did. <laughs> um, but I, I suffered from that because I lost 15 Panzer Grenadier coming across the uh, the water. Um, I lost a Fallschirmjäger division, and then I lost that other mechanized division. So I was really hard up having lost three divisions plus sending that reinforced brigade north. Um, so I was short four divisions in that line, um, which made it so that as the game progressed, my opponent started to mirror what I had done to him. And that uh, I was like, now I'm fighting myself a little bit um, <laughs> with fewer divisions. And uh, so that was... Those were some tough decisions there as to how I was going to counter uh, what was essentially seemed like my plan of going around and, and cutting me off. Um, and so I started to fall back more quickly than I think I had planned on doing that to be able to cut that off. Yeah, so let's let's talk principles of war. As you reflect on your 
strategy and your decision making. Uh, and and I'm doing a very loose definition of what what the principles of war are. Uh, you know, you can you can kind of self define what guided your decision making based on, you know, principles of war as, as you framed it in your mind. Uh, what stands out to you? What guided from a from a doctrine and theoretical standpoint, your approach to the scenario. Well, from I was side. I, for for both sides. Obviously, I was playing to win, and so for me, the principle of war easily was maintenance of the aim. Uh, and I know the aim was to capture victory or capture cities for victory points. Uh, what's interesting, though, uh, for me at least with my strategy, is that maintenance at the aim meant sacrificing other principles of war. Like I couldn't do concentration of force as the Germans and maintenance of the aim. So what I found, um, it, it was interesting to see these two things at odds because I, I think we're taught to respect all the principles of war, but I found during this particular uh, scenario, I couldn't, which is why I, I privileged in this case, maintenance of the aim, because I figured that was the one that was going to get me closer to victory. Um, I would preface my comments by saying that um, they're Darren Hart's comments, um, not necessarily those of the Canadian Armed Forces, um, but I generally dislike the principles of war because I find them overly simplified. They're be, they've become a list of things you should do as opposed to the deep thought that's required to really understand them. If, if I could write the principles of war, each of them would be a thousand word essay, um, and that's how I would describe them. However, what I would really do, uh, or what I really tried to focus on was, uh, as Anthony mentioned, what is the aim? Um, and rather than getting distracted by the enemy moving something someplace or doing something, what is your plan? Why did you choose that plan and stick to your plan as opposed to reacting to um, and changing your plan every single turn? Um, and, and therefore sort of like being able to stick to that because if when you do that, then you don't get to the point where you're chasing things. You're setting the tempo and then your enemy needs to respond to you as opposed to the other way around. So I tried to really focus on that. And I tried to do that through differential concentration combined with aggressive maneuver. So wherever I wanted to concentrate, I wanted to have, I wanted to be able to set the concentration and then aggressive maneuver in those locations to, to move around forces that were um, trying to sit in my way and I would just um, move around them. Uh, I, I also found, you know, we've talked a lot about land forces uh, on this. I found that the use of my Navy was really important. I spent a lot of time moving my Navy around, um, making it look like I was heading further north and, and back. And so the movements of the Navy, I tried to have the ships be in different places each turn, um, not because there's a great threat from the German Navy, but as an allied player, I wanted my opponent to be trying to figure out what the Navy was doing. So he spent less brain power in trying to figure out what the army was doing. Cause the army is really where the, uh, the maneuver was happening. Um, but I wanted him distracted and confused to a degree uh, by like, what is he doing with his Navy? Why are these ships moving all over the place? I de-aggregated most of them. So there was like 20 ships in different places, all kinds of icons on the map, all kinds of contacts. If you think of it from a real world perspective, um, that had to be dealt with and figured out. Great. Any of the rest of you guys, uh, principles of war, you know, or what, you know, primarily drove your thinking and framework on your your strategy and approach to the game? 
Yeah, I think for me, for the allies, I, I, I took a, a bull Halsey approach, hit hard, hit fast, hit often. Uh, and it didn't really work out for me. I think uh, some of the roles didn't didn't go my way, but I was also kind of spreading out my forces a little too much. So I, I wasn't really using the, the economy of force the way I should have. And listening to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Hart kind of explain his allied uh, approach, I was starting to think, well, maybe I was his German opponent because <laughs> that described a lot of what I was doing. And on the German side, uh, I kind of had a, an extreme disregard for life uh, almost in that you know, every city had some sort of delaying force in it. Uh, and I just sort of let them stay there to force the allies to sort of concentrate on that force and block them a little bit on their approach up. Uh, but it, my, you know, the ones on the Eastern flank of, of Italy uh, got crushed pretty often, pretty, pretty quick. So, you know, they were able to drive super far up uh, on the East. Um, but yeah, those were kind of my, my two approaches and uh, neither one really, really worked out for me. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's jump to uh, one of our last questions here, which is uh, in what ways do you believe participating in war games like this war plan tournament benefits your mental preparation for war fighting? Well, like I said at the beginning, um, I, I think war game is a, is a safe place for experimentation. On one hand, we can use these scenarios to um, to rehearse doctrine and see if it still works. Uh, and we can also um, do something creative and then compare the results. And maybe that means uh, updating our doctrine or, or tactics or so forth. I think wargaming has a very natural place in our lessons learned process. And it, it allows for that um, feedback loop to um, to make sure that we are uh, we're, we're, we're a learning organization and that we're um, we're adapting. Um, where, where I think that we need cautious, though, is that we can we can do these scenarios and um, we can accept all of the consequences because they really don't mean anything other than lessons learned. Uh, just picking up where Kiwi left off, I also went into this scenario understanding that my German battalions in the center and the south were going to die. And, and I was OK with that because this is a game. And, uh, and I wasn't going to have to write several thousand letters to families back home. So, um, so I'm, I'm all about uh, these scenarios, and I think they're great. Um, we, I think we just need to be cautious not to, um, not to be enth too enthusiastic about the consequences, because when we take the lessons and we apply them to real life, um, well, the consequences actually have meaning. Yeah, that's actually a really good point that what I found in my game that I came in tension with was a recognition towards the end of the scenario as the clock was ticking down and I was focused as the Germans on holding cities as long as I possibly could to the point where I was leaving divisions to be surrounded to hold the city to the end of the game, right? Knowing that they were hopelessly lost, if this was a long-term effort, those units were lost, right? And now, interestingly, of course, Hitler was giving similar orders, particularly on the East Front, right, to hold ground and not not withdraw, and consequently, you're losing units. So it, those are those can become historical decisions. But as I was looking at it, I'm like, you know, if I'm playing a long game, I'm not leaving these divisions behind, right? I'm I'm going to withdraw and fight a delay, but preserving combat power as the German player for me was a driving factor. If you lose your divisions, you can no longer establish a, a, 
a defensive line and and you're you're on the run, right? So trying to not be too risky in your decision makings, but trying to preserve combat power in the long run, which is probably a more realistic approach if you're talking about real lives, right? That you're gonna you're gonna fight that delay. So I actually wrestled with in the future. I think we're gonna adjust uh, some of the victory conditions for this. Uh, right now, the victory conditions are you know grab those victory point cities. But I've contemplated applying a manual adjudication by uh, either giving the German player points for how many divisions the German player has left at the end of the game um, or, you know, something related to the preservation of combat power that that creates this tension for the German player. If, if you keep that division alive, that's a victory point. If you leave it behind, you're you're going to lose that victory point of the division along with the city victory point, right? Or you're just giving up the city victory point, but you create that tension where now you're wrestling with both the terrain and the force. And I think that next year, if we run this scenario, we we will change that victory condition to make it a more realistic decision calculus because otherwise it can become gamey like we're talking about. Um, all right, so let's, uh, let's kind of shift to our closeout here and, and you know, if you've got something else that is burning on your mind that you want to throw out as well before you answer this question, feel free to do that. But uh, what is your favorite game that's in our Wargaming Cloud and in the Fight Club? And then what is a game that is not there that you would like to see in our Wargaming Cloud and Fight Club activities? So, um, Tim Carl Hart, kick, kick it to you for closeout first. Um, I really like... Uh, war plan, and I know this, you know, whole podcast has been about war plan. But for where I'm at in my career and the job I'm doing, war plan is an excellent tool for us to have um, students stop thinking about tactics and like, oh, well, he would have taken up a fire position, and and pull them to a level that's high enough where the tactics matter less now, um, and the opportunity to actually. Um, you know, think about operational issues. For some infantry officers, it'll be the first time they've ever talked about logistics. Um, and that's that's a useful thing. I think that's what Warplan really offers. Uh, in terms of a game I'd like to see, I'd love to see OWS in this. Um, but, uh, you know, it's... It's, uh, it's coming. It's coming. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Um, because I think OWS offers a... A level of game that ceases being gamey. Um, I think when it's computerized, it's a little bit different because you kind of move a, an icon and there's a little sound effect and there's a result at the end of it. Um, I find one of the biggest impediments to really getting people invested in wargaming is the use of um, rolling dice and chance. And there's that constant, well, it would never happen. I'm like, yeah, it probably would happen that way. But um, the system that's used in OWS, I think, is really good in terms of um, the different types of dice that you get to roll based on on the different factors that you put in place. So, um, so that that would be what I would say. Great, Tinker Rob. I have similar thoughts uh, as Darren. Maybe it's because we we had the same job for a number of years. Uh, I'd also like. I, I guess I'd like to see OWS here, but I also really like the uh, the the manual, the the, the board version. Because when things happen, you know exactly why, 
you you won or lost that particular engagement. So you understand that if you stack things like main effort, concentration of force, uh, overwhelming firepower, joint support, and so on, and then you are successful, well, you know why it was the it was the stacking of all these factors. And when we digitize some of those things, and it all happens in an instant without the discussion, um, some of that learning might be lost. So. Uh, I think that OWS on this system will be great for those who understand the mechanics, but for the first timers, uh, I, I love seeing it on a gigantic table, uh, all of us surrounding it, uh, arguing over you know the uh, the validity of the results. Uh, that's that's excellent. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you for for coming on our first fire and maneuver podcast. Uh, you guys have been great guests on here. I want to congratulate you again for your team win and outstanding individual performances uh, in the competition that we had. And of course, we've got uh, Operation Bagration uh, that just kicked off last night and is uh, gonna be our wrap-up war plan scenario for, for this uh, war plan you know, league season that we've been doing here this fall. And so I wish you guys luck in that and uh, good fighting on the, the Belarusian and Ukrainian fronts. Uh, as uh, we continue to fight it out in, in the fight club. So thank you, gentlemen, for, for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you very much, Tim.